Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the John Papaloni Show. Today we have Jen Potter. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. I am super excited for today's show. Uh, you're a serial entrepreneur, so you're going to have lots to say. But we're going to start off with a little bit of a bio of who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Oh, who am I? So my name is Jen Potter and I am, like you said, a serial entrepreneur. I own several businesses here in Massachusetts, one of them being a strategic consulting firm, which we strategize in helping small businesses get to the next level of business. I have a professional babysitting and nannying agency, which um, we service in-house as well as um, now working with the state and helping work with uh, childcare facilities as well. I have a uh, professional house cleaning company. We service both residential and uh, commercial. And then I have an apparel company. So right now I have four businesses working on two more in 2023. I have big aspirations. I want to own 47 businesses by 2047. So I have big goals, big dreams, and I want to help businesses, like I said, grow to the next level. But I also want to be able to give other people opportunities to be able to help um, them start businesses. That makes sense. Now, the big question is why so many businesses? Well, I've always wanted to own a lot of businesses. I have, you know, for me personally, I'm the type of person I have severe ADHD, so I can't do one thing. So I decided I wanted to own lots of things because it will allow me to do all of the things that I want to do. So growing up, I've always had four jobs at a time. I'd be waitressing. I'd be an analyst. I would, you know, just I do all different types of things that weren't necessarily correlated. And then, you know, as I got older, people used to always say, well, maybe you should focus on one thing and I'd focus on one thing. I'd start a business and then I'm like, I want to do five other things. So I could never actually focus on one thing. And I've always loved the idea of, you know, certain people that owned all different types of businesses just because I'm a big fan of Tony Robbins, not as a motivational speaker, but as a business owner, he owns all different types of businesses, which aren't actually correlated. And I love that. I am also a super fan of Mel Robbins, which is really funny because she's a motivational speaker. So I always tell everybody, if you push those two together, I'm their prodigal child and I want to own all of the businesses. And we actually put a number to it uh, not that long ago because I didn't have an exact goal. I just said, I want to own all of the businesses. And one of my mentors, I told him my story and I was like, I want to own all the businesses. And he's like, well, what's the significance of your business? Like, why is it called Epic 47? And I kind of went over it with him and I was like, well, four, you know, 47 is just like my number. It was my number grow like growing up. I'm my birthday's in April, my favorite number seven. He's like, time out. That's a terrible story. And I was like, what do you mean? I think it sounds fantastic. He's like, no. Mm -mm. And then he told me his own story about, you know, how his business, you know, kind of came up with like their business name and it put me to shame. So I took some time. It took me several months to really think about it. And I just decided I was like, you know what? I think realistically speaking in 25 years, I could run 47 companies and myself running them. I'm not going to run all of them on my own. I need to find people who are going to run and own the companies with all of my companies. I have, um, the plans to give part of the company to my employees. So I want to be able to do profit sharing. So they'll be able to run the companies for me. So finding amazing people with opportunities to grow. Okay. Um, that is kind of interesting. And, you know, like it's unique how you got there. Um, yeah. And I like the fact that you're uh, recognized that you're not running all 47 companies. No, no. So uh, I'm, but what's the inspiration between getting, uh, no, I get the whole employee run thing, like not employee run, but profit sharing. Cause it gets the employees, um, 
more uh hopefully hopefully at least because hopefully keyword <laughs> yeah you, you get them more uh you know invested into the uh outcome right well right. that well that's the biggest thing right so if if i'm able to give somebody an opportunity they may may have never had to own and run part of a business you know if they can make this thing grow and they can make it profitable with profit sharing like you're going to get a pretty big check at the end of the year as well you can say that this belongs to you you're going to take things more seriously because you have stake in the game and if if I'm giving that person an opportunity, they're going to choose whether or not they're going to succeed or fail. And if they fail, then there's other people who are going to want to do it. But I want to find people who are truly motivated, who truly want to do it. Everyone that works with me, they step up, they put 110% into it. They had no idea what I planned on doing when I first started doing this. And you know, being able to turn around and give somebody an opportunity that doesn't have an opportunity where I come from, I didn't have an opportunity. I came from nothing. And if I have the chance to give somebody something that they don't have, I'm going to do that. Right. Okay. Um, So what was the first thing you started? So actually, I think the first business that I had prior to this, I actually owned a chocolate making company. So I I made pastries and chocolates and then I got diagnosed um, with Crohn's and I couldn't have dairy or gluten. So I had to kind of nix that because that was way before they had all these alternative things. Now they have all these alternative things 15 years later. If they had it back then, I'd probably still be pretty successful. But, you know, we'll come back to that someday. But so I started a chocolate company and then I was like, it kind of gave me the taste of wanting to own a business, but I wasn't quite a business owner. I would do like small, like, you like craft things, but nothing ever really, really solidified into anything. And, you know, I wanted to start this babysitting company about 10 years ago. And I just, I didn't know how to start it. And I kind of had the idea of starting an apparel company so I could learn how to run a business. If I could start a business that didn't cost me a lot of money to start, I would learn how to run a business. And then if it was great, then I'd take that money and I'd start another company. So when I started the apparel company, I signed up for an entrepreneurship um, program. It was a free program uh, that was offered here. It allowed me to take all of these business accelerated classes, give me all of these opportunities to start a business. I started the t-shirt company with $500. I made a crazy amount of money doing it and realized, wow, if I can do this, I can do anything. I took that same strategy. I applied it to my babysitting company. That was so successful. It it allowed me to start the house cleaning company and then start the the consulting company. So everything that I did, I kind of took that profit, I turned it and put it into another company. Right. Now, now let me ask you something. Okay. Yes. You got into babysitting, right? So how does that work exactly? Right. Because that is going to be kind of a touchy thing with parents. So I'm kind of curious to what the structure of that is. Yeah, absolutely. So babysitting is the most underregulated job in the country. Um, During COVID, actually, I don't know if you know this, but, you know, a handful of people do. When COVID happened and people qualified for unemployment, babysitters and caregivers in home were one of the only jobs that did not qualify for the unemployment checks at first, which is crazy to me because these people are working full time, whether they were 1099 or not, they didn't qualify. So that to me was was something in itself. But I started the company before the pandemic happened, and then it kind of shut our doors and we kind of turned it back around. But 
I want to regulate babysitting. I want to be, I want to regulate childcare. If I can make a small footprint on, you know, that big.com website that they do certain things, but there's no regulation, nobody regulates it. All of the employees that work for me directly, they are actually W2 employees, workers comp liability over the age of 18, CPR certified, you know, and the list goes on back, you know, their background check, the way that we reference check. We do a lot of due diligence. I have three kids, which I may have mentioned, and I needed more childcare. And with, you know, needing things, necessity, inspiration, right? So I knew that if I wanted to hire someone, I wanted to be able to hit all those check boxes. How could I protect my children as much as I possibly can? And I have a really big footprint here in the area. I started a group called South Coast Mamas and Babies about 10 years ago. And it's a big community of families in the South Coast. So I already had the demographic of people who would I know would be interested who need childcare. I see the need. And I wanted to be able to say I could do the background check. I could do the process. I want to pair personalities. Everybody is completely different. When you come to me, you're going to tell me I have a cat and, you know, I have all of these lists of all of these things. I want all of these things done. Now I have to find a person who's willing to do all of those things and your personalities match. So our process is really unique in the sense of how we do it all. Uh, a client will come to me and tell me all of the things that they're looking for. And if it's on the nannying side, as far as like looking for, you know, bigger chunks of childcare, I, our process is really like tuned in of how we match people. If it's um, just a typical babysitting, I try to still vet out as much as I possibly can based off who, who we have working for us directly. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, so I, I get your part of it, right? I, I'm just trying to figure it out. And you know what? I don't have kids and my, maybe this is going to show, but um, you know I mean? Like, uh, I don't know. For me, it's the whole, the whole process seems odd to me, right? Like, and I realize it's not like people are going to stop working because they have kids. So they got to go to work, but it's sort of right. a, let's be honest. There's so many creepers out there and no kidding. you're leaving kids, uh, you know, with strangers for a lack of better, you know, description here. Right. Um, so how do parents get past that trust part? Like, and how, so, how do they do it? Like, yeah, that's, that's really important. Right. So we have, we've actually just implemented something, um, a little bit newer more recently with what we're doing for both sides, because it's not just the parents, right. It's also the people that are going to take care of the kids. We have to make sure that they're protected as well. So we do a few different things. So we do all the vetting, we do all of the hiring on the back end. So if I'm to come to you and say, I have three candidates, I probably vet out maybe 20 people just to get those three for your family. Cause they have to meet checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint are they vaccinated do they have this do they have this is it this qualification this certification so there's a lot of background work that we have to do like i said reference checks and background checks um we do social media we go through all of their social media making sure that it's you know certain things aren't there because that's also like a red flag with certain things um we do gis mapping like where they live um they do all of their interviews on the back end here like I said, the national, the criminal background check and stuff. Uh, we're trying to implement something else with the state, but that's going to take a little bit longer to work on. But we go through all of this due diligence. And then after we go through the due diligence, we say, hey, I have someone for you. Then we do a Zoom call like this. We started it because of COVID and then we kept it. And what we do is I'm on the call or one of my GMs, the parent, and then the child care provider, we get on the call and we have an interview. So the interview allows the person to meet the candidate, the family to meet the candidate without their actually coming into their own home, without them knowing where they live. It gives them the opportunity to kind of see like, okay, 
this feels comfortable. I can meet this person in person. So then we then send information to both the client and the candidate different. They both get two different emails. One of them has like, we give like the address and all that information. The client gets an email saying we have their query check. We have their, their reference checks. Here's their phone number. Here's their, um, this is what their birthday is. This is their full name. When you get there, they can give you their license. If you'd ask for it, we do have it all on file at that point anyways, but it gives you the opportunity that when they show up, if it's the person that you just saw in the zoom call, you're a little bit more apt to open the door, right? You're right. a little bit more apt to have a conversation and the families control whether or not it's within the house or if it's outside in the yard, you know, whatever that looks like. But you met them once on Zoom, then you get to meet them in a like a in-person meeting. It's usually an hour to three hours and you really get to know them. And then if it seems like a good fit from there, then we write, you know, we write the contracts and we move them forward. So there's different points like you get to see their information. If they seem like it's a good fit, then we do a Zoom call. If the Zoom fit seems like it's a good fit, then we do a meet and greet. Then, you know, you start working and we're in the state of Massachusetts. So it's at will employment. So nobody is locked into long term like they do have different commitment times, but nothing's locked in. But then from there, you know, now they're going to get to kind of be around them. And a lot of parents like the first and second time will be home. A lot of parents work from home these days. So I'd say half of our clients, they're actually in the home when the person is there. So I think that that's really fantastic. But it it gives all of these extra steps for things. And like I said, we just, we're implementing something new for even the can't, uh, the client side where like we do some due diligence with our families as well to kind of get to know them and, you know, interview them and vet them out even further. Hey, well, that's interesting, right? Because I mean, I picture when you explain this to me, I pictured somebody just making a phone call saying, yeah, I need a babysitter uh, three o'clock on Friday and some random stranger just shows up. So that, that, so makes that happens though, but that happens. Like people will call me and they're like, Hey, we need someone for Friday. And I'm like, okay, cool. We do a zoom call. We do this. And they're like, no, no, I don't need any of that. Now that to me is a red flag for a client. I actually won't work with a client who doesn't want to go through the process because I want to protect my employees too, right? Like I want to make sure that I'm sending them somewhere safe. We do an intake. We vet out our clients as well, because I want to make sure that when they're knocking on the door, they're going someplace safe. You know, I don't want them to show up to an, a, like a, a client's house and it's not a safe environment. So the client vetting allows us to make sure that the employees are safe as well, because, you know, you never know what you're going to walk into. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's what I was thinking, right? Because, again, that could happen at daycares, too, where parents drop off kids. I mean, there's a lot of blind trust out there, right? You just drop them off and you assume because they're in a building. (laughs) Right. Like, you you never know. And, I mean, I tell all our employees, always assume that there's a nanny cam. Always assume Big Brother is watching. Always assume that, you know, someone has their, like, over your shoulder. So you need to make sure that you're doing the best possible thing. And we're very particular with how we hire. Like, I, I like to think that we're pretty diligent with how we're doing all of our stuff to make sure that we are finding the best possible candidates. Even for our babysitter, it's like everyone that works for us directly, um, if they don't have like a lot of long term experience, we hire them as, you know, part time babysitters, which gives them the exposure to work with different families and different age groups and short periods of time. They're typically only there for three to four hours. And, you know, it just allows them just different experiences, which I think is really awesome. Makes sense. So, yeah, as you can tell, I'm not a parent. So <laughs> that's, that's I got okay. To. Well, I hope I made you feel a little safer. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> I, now I understand the process. Now it makes sense. Again. Right. So, um, with that being said, like, okay, so you have four businesses, and just from natural experience, 
there's always going to be one that's going to be the real revenue generator and one that needs the real work. Um, which one is your top generator? Which one, you know, is the one that uh, needs you the most attention right now? So, but that's a great question. I mean, they're all doing pretty well. Um, the the apparel company is kind of more like passive income these days. Um, I usually just use it for like speaking engagements when I'm making my own apparel. Um, if someone's looking to buy something, I don't really put a lot of attention there. And it's been coming to the forefront a little bit more. So I think that needs a little bit more attention to kind of push it a little bit because I've, I've taken it for granted because I just I used it as I'm going to make an inspirational apparel company and I wear the clothes all the time. It's surprising that I'm not wearing it right now. But um. I, I did it to start another business. So I think that one needs a little bit of extra love. Uh, the babysitting and the house cleaning are probably the top two right now. The babysitting company got so big, like we hired over like 500 people in the past two years, which I think is fantastic. And um, it, through the babysitting company, we offer um, cleaning services. And that's how that started. So people, families had babysitters and they needed, they needed childcare, they needed house cleaning. And then we decided to say, you know what, house cleaning is so big, we probably should separate it. And when we separated it, I think we ended up, we did one post once we separated it officially. And I think we had to hire like 12 people. So it was pretty crazy because we, we had to hire really quickly. And then we scaled back a little bit because we had a lot of like part-time employees. And now we're concentrating on giving like full more part like part to full-time employment work so people have more work to do because now people are looking for more of that part to full-time work so uh, i'd say the two of them are probably the two highest and they both keep going back and forth but i will say i was never prepared to own a cleaning company so there was a lot of trial and error there was a lot of um uh, growing pains because they're things that I just I didn't know or I wasn't aware and everybody is so different like what I think is clean and what you think are clean are two completely different things what your expectations are opposed to what I think your expectations are so that was a learning experience in itself and it's always a learning experience but I, I'm so happy for the experience because it's allowed us something else to work on so right that makes sense now again you said you know you kind of got uh, you weren't prepared and yeah. uh, obviously you got some surprises. Yes. Now, what was the uh, biggest shocker there? Like the, like the one that you completely caught you off guard that you did not expect at all. Like couldn't have even anticipated it. So I, I think it was, I, I think it's not, I think it's like not anticipating expectations because I've had like, we've done cleanings before where, you know, we come in and everything like I'm very particular, like I clean my house constantly and what I think is clean and what you think are clean are two completely different things. I wasn't prepared for how we won't say everybody takes care of their house differently. So I'll say it like that. I didn't realize how clean my house was until we started going to other places. Uh. So not that saying that people are dirty, but the way that they clean are just so different. So you know, having animals or, you know, kids or, you know, just not having time to do certain things. It's, it, it was just, it was very surprising, very, very surprising. And again, you know, some of our best clients like, or would turn around and be like, well, what about this? And I'm like, wait a minute, that's not even on. Like I had one client come to me and she's like, I don't understand why you didn't clean all the mold off my ceiling. I'm like, I didn't know I did remediation. Like I'm a house cleaner. Why would I clean your mold on your ceiling? She goes, well, isn't that part of a deep clean? I'm like, no, you need to call like a mold re like remediation company. Like that has nothing to do with house cleaning. She's like, oh, I don't even know if I could use your services anymore because I expect you to clean all the mold. And I'm like, 
okay, cool. Not what we do, but I can refer you to someone else. So like, it's random things like that, that kind of took me off guard, but it, it taught me like who to partner with. It taught me like different techniques, different cleaning products, different things to offer an expectation. So like when we go into a house that might have mold in the bathroom, like my house gets it all the time. I take the hottest showers ever. So we always have to like repaint the ceiling with like kills because I take the hottest showers ever and I probably shouldn't. And, but you know, I go into a house that might have that and I'll look up and I'll be like, Hey, just so you know, we don't do these things. So we set the expectations right out the gate. And I think being a little bit more prepared and saying those things, it helps. So yeah, that makes sense. That's, a, you know, I can see how that happens. In fact, um, you know, kind of a little bit of a funny story here. Uh, I, I can totally relate to that. I am a uh, obsessive compulsive. I have, I like Me things too. a certain way. Same. And uh, my expectations are a lot higher than most. Same. So I remember I went uh, with one of my ex-girlfriends. She was looking for a place. And I remember I went with her. She went into this place and it's like, I had to go to the bathroom real bad. And it's like, but that place I thought was so disgusting. I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even use the bathroom. I thought it was so disgusting. And right. I remember I'm a guy, so I stand up. I don't have to sit down and I still won't use the bathroom, right? Like that's how bad it was. And I'm walking around and I'm apologizing. Oh, I'm sorry. I found this for you. Or, you know, I came out. Oh, I'm sorry. And she's like, wasn't that place great? And I'm like, <laughs> like, like, I'm like, I was just blown away. Like, you think that's good? You know, like, right. <laughs> it's like, wow. Right. So it, it, that is kind of how I opened up my eyes and say, okay, level of expectations are, you know, in terms yeah. of that are different for everybody. They're so different. And it's funny because like, for me, I have this, this saying, I say, it, I say it all the time and my husband doesn't think it's the best saying to have, but I have zero expectations for everything. I start off at a zero expectation Anything that you do, I mean, obviously, like there are like work expectations and stuff like that. But if I think that you're not going to go above and beyond anything that I say, no matter what, we're going to be neutral, right? So having like that type of expectation and that type of outlook, it does, like you said, it opens up your eyes because I'm OCD too. And someone who's not OCD, like there could be like a lint ball in the corner and I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, unless it's a deep clean, I don't expect that. But then some people will turn around and be like, there was a dog, like lint ball in the corner, like under the chair and over here. And I'm like, okay, cool. I get it. Cause I'm that person. But you have to also understand the more in depth cleaning we do, the longer it's going to take. And do you want to pay for that? If you do, absolutely. I'll spend all the time in the world here, but you know, that's pretty tough too. Yeah. But I love it. I love it. <laughs> So that's just funny. So with that being said, also, there is, um, you know, just like I said, sometimes there's challenges when you start something and you get uh, surprised with those challenges or, or could be surprised. There's also sometimes uh, surprise when uh, you get a win as well. And what I mean is sometimes you expect, uh, just say, I'm going to start something. And um, my projection is I'll get about three customers this month as an example, a stupid example, right. but it's an example. Then all of a sudden, you get three uh, three customers in that first day, let alone the month. And right. it just blows you away. It's just like, whoa, I did not expect this to happen this quickly. Um, have you had that happen yet? Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a cleaning company. That was when we first started the cleaning company. I didn't expect it to grow as fast as it did. And again, that's where I think the learning curve kind of happened because we weren't prepared for it. We weren't sure what that was going to look like and we weren't fully staffed for it. So that was definitely, I call them learning experiences because I learned from that and a lot of investing um, be, through these learning experiences. But 
I didn't expect to get that many clients that fast. And now like, you know, we're a little bit more strategic of how we're growing, but you know, I think that that was really fantastic. And then, and then also I would say the consulting company, because I've been consulting privately for about 10 years, but it more so like 1099 back, you know, backdoor, like someone would come to me and I'd help them with certain things, financial projections and things like that. Cause my background is like financial and I, I would help them do those things, but I've never like advertised myself. And the more I started getting into the speaking realm and doing, doing more with businesses on the forefront, mentoring, doing a lot of pro bono work, I finally said, you know what, I think it's time that I step outside of my comfort zone and I start consult doing one more one-on-one consulting or group consulting because I'm watching people grow. I'm mentoring for different programs. I mentor for that same EFRL program that I mentioned that I went through and watching these businesses grow and flourish. It just made sense that that was my next step because that's there's something to be said for watching other people grow like I get the biggest like the biggest high from it when if I see that you know I helped you to step out of your comfort zone and now you're growing and you're making more money and you're growing your business I take a little bit of self-credit for that like I don't have to advertise that everywhere but internally it's wow I really helped this person succeed and watching them succeed makes me super happy I'm so about collaboration not competition what can I do to help you? That's so important to me. Right. So you brought up another point, right? Like you have a staff shortage right now. Now, when someone is looking for something like you, you, you're growing at rate at a rate that you didn't expect. And then somebody turns around and says, Hey, I need you Friday at noon. And you have a staff shortage. You got to solve that problem. How did you solve it so quickly? Or did you like, what was the, experience? we did, we, we solved it pretty quickly, but I I think, again, this is where like the learning curve came in, right? So we, because it wasn't, it was a similar, it's a very similar process that we use for the babysitting. So the hiring process was almost identical, but we were doing it faster. And while we were hitting all the checkpoints, we were doing it faster. I didn't take into consideration at the beginning, the training process. So for a babysitter, right? Like, yes, there's training and yes, there's stuff that we do, but I feel like house cleaning was a little bit different when it came to training. So that was where, that was where the trial and error was. It was not spending enough time teaching people to do things the right way the first time. So this is our expectation as a company. This is how it needs to get done. When you come in, we have a checklist. This is how we go over it with the client. Before you leave, you go through it with the client again, because if the client doesn't see it and you leave, then we can't fix it if we miss something. Right. So I think the biggest thing was, was hiring too quickly, not training properly at the beginning, but all of those things were learning experiences because I wouldn't be able to still say that I am where I am if it wasn't for those things. So I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, I tell clients all the time, if there's a problem, constructive criticism, like, tell me, you want me to do something different? Tell me, you're not going to hurt my feelings by saying, Hey, we missed a lint ball. Hey, we missed something on the windowsill. Hey, this wasn't the, under the coffee maker wasn't cleaned. We're only human. We're going to miss some things. But if you tell me that it was missed, perfect. Let me go on back and clean it. Let me spend more time there the next time I come. Let me, you know, let me get somebody, maybe somebody different. Maybe you need a different house cleaner because of what you're looking for specifically. So it was, it was tough because we hired too quickly, but it taught us so much. And like I said, it put us right where we are. So it's pretty fantastic. Right. That makes sense. I get that. So um, now with that being said, right, like with a bumpy road, there's going to be certain people and the fact that people are uh, sensitive and soft today for compared to when I grew up for a lack of better description. <laughs> um, with that being said, I'm sure there's going to be some, uh, you know, 
you know, negative remarks or you had some sort of somebody calling to whine or complain, however you want to word it. Oh, um, absolutely. People complain all the time. It's right. Where I was going with that is that, uh, and I'm sure when you first weren't ready and all that, you, you probably had one on the first job on one of them, at least. What was your biggest complaint and how did you handle it? So I guess one of the biggest complaints was just, you know, that level of expectation. I expected this to get done. Well, that's not on the list of things, right? Like we said, like the mold. I actually, that one client, she goes, well, I expected this to get done. We kept her as a client because I got myself on a ladder and I actually cleaned it with a, you know, like, like magic eraser. I cleaned around all of the edges. And the only reason why I did it, and I said, listen, we don't do this and you still need someone to take care of it. But I know that you have a big party coming and I want to make sure that you're happy. So let me, let me be clear. This is not part of what we do, but I don't expect my employees to go and do it. So I went in there with an N95 mask. I went up there and I cleaned it and I said, I know that this wasn't an expectation, but I'm going to make sure that it gets done today, but let it be known moving forward. And things like that are, you know, what clients don't expect. Uh, when somebody is expecting something and it doesn't get done, what are we going to do to fix it? If it wasn't already discussed, I think when people complain about, oh, I really wanted my bat, I'm making all of this up, right? I really wanted my bathtub to be clean. And I noticed a ring around the edge. Okay, let me find a different cleaning product. Let me find something different that we can use. We get permission from our clients to use anything that's not natural. So we use all natural products, but if it doesn't have bleach in it, some things can't be cleaned. If it doesn't have, you know, some type of CLR or something like that, we can't get rid of certain things. So we ask for permission. One of the things that I learned too, especially with the cleaning company, we bought power tools. So we have power cleaners. So I have like a drill that has like a brush on the end. So that like we use that to like clean bathtubs and tile. Oh my God. It's like the best, best investment ever, ever. Right. Now here, here's a, an interesting point that I thought of, right? Like um, you just pointed out something about natural products. So obviously that's part of your promo, right? Yep. That you guys use natural products. Yep. Um, so how much? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you know what it is prime example, like I have a cleaner that comes in and uh, I have no idea what they use and nor do I care for being honest. Um, some people don't. Right. And that's where, where I was going. Right. So yep. when you said that it never occurred to me that maybe there's business from that because you're specific, like you pro you you promote it that way. So maybe like you families. Think, yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what? That's true. Right. So I guess some people really do think about that. When I you guess think that's about the kids. A, an attraction point. It is. So especially the reason why we started using, um, you know, the all natural cleaning products was my own child. So I have three children. The first two are, they're eight and 10. The youngest is now two. And when the youngest was about, uh, was eight and a half, he was already walk eight and a half months. He was already walking. So he was into everything very early on. He is what I call my, you know, I won't call him crazy, but I, he has a lot of energy. He is the child that gets into everything. You tell him no and, hey, don't climb on that. You turn around and he's sitting like in the sink. Mm -hmm. So he thinks it's hilarious. He will do whatever it takes to get in the sink, whether it's just, you know, scaling scaling the, the cabinets or moving something over to get in there. But he gets into everything. So when just he was under one one at the time. And I only use all natural products in the house. I've been using all natural products for a long time. Again, I have like certain things like the bleach and the CLR and stuff like that, like Clorox, but we keep that like in the basement. We actually don't even keep that upstairs in the house. And he went into the bathroom and he 
opened one of the the cleaning products and it was all over the floor and it was his mouth was bubbling and it happened so fast that like I panicked and I called poison control it was the first time in you know 10 years of having kids and we called poison control and I was like oh my god my kid just like it, it was like I think it was like cleaning detergent and I was like he just like got it all over the place I don't know if it got in his mouth and I'm like panicking right like I was totally that parent and I was like how did this happen and the guy goes, well, read me the ingredients. I go, well, it's Melaleuca products. And he goes, oh, okay. He goes, I'm just, before you start panicking, he's probably just going to have diarrhea. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, everything that that's that company is water soluble and it's literally dish soap. So it's literally dish soap. And so I read him the dish, uh, like I went through the ingredients and he's like, no, it's just really concentrated. He goes, just give him lots of water. He'll probably, it will go through his system, but you have nothing to worry about. And it was in that moment that the second I called poison control and they're like, you seriously have nothing to worry about that I was like, I probably should be using these products for the cleaning company because I know that, you know, if my son like licks the table, he's not going to get, you know, he might have to go to the bathroom, but he's not going to be super sick. And that to me meant more to me than anything. So I think that that was super important as a selling point. And we actually, after like the first time we go to a cleaning um, at a client's house, we actually give them a bottle of the all natural cleaning spray as part of like their first initial clean. Wow. Okay. So it's amazing how you use the personal experience to uh, make your decision there like that. And that's actually pretty clever. So with that being said, right, like it's like one of these reasons I'm asking you, the, the point I'm trying to illustrate to anybody watching or listening is that um, there's too many people out there that want to be an entrepreneur that wants to build a business one day, you know, because they're tired of working for the man or anything, any other term they're going to use for their damn job. And what ends up happening is that uh, it's always an excuse because they spend so much time analysis, you know, with analysis paralysis. Yes. That they yes. don't actually pull the trigger on anything. Um, so where I'm going is sometimes you need to go beyond the just learning and get into the doing. Right. Absolutely. Sometimes like, and you just illustrated that you can turn something into a business by just trying it and then learning right. from those mistakes. Absolutely. And and that's what it's about, right? Like, I don't believe in mistakes unless you do it twice. If you do it once, it's a learning experience. If you do it twice, it's definitely, you know, you're not learning. So I think it's really important that every time something happens, like, you know, I tell everybody, oh, I if you look at it in hindsight, when I hired all these people and I did all of these training, I mean, it might look like I lost a lot of money, but I don't look at that as losing money. I look at it as a solid investment. It taught me what to do and what not to do. It taught me how to continue to grow. But one thing that I suggest to anybody who wants to own a business, you have to be willing to take responsibility for every single person that works for you, every single person that contracts from you. You have to know that even if you have solid boundaries, you're going to think about your business 24 seven every day, all day even when you're doing something else you I choose to shut it off at certain times like I'm very intentional like after a certain time I won't look at my email or my phone and stuff like that but it doesn't mean you're not going to think about it and the responsibility part is a lot is really hard for a lot of people like if one of my cleaners does not do her job I wasn't there but that's on me what can I do to teach my employees to continue to do a better job? What can we do to offer a better service to make the client happy? That's on me. That's my reputation. So if you want to own a business, you have to be willing to put in the work and take the responsibility. Boom, snap. There's a mic drop opportunity. <laughs> like, I don't know if you caught that or not. It's about taking responsibility. And that is the one key thing. You have to take responsibility for everything. Because even if you didn't do it, ultimately, the buck stops with you. 
Absolutely. Love that, right? Like that was total mic drop moment there. I right? love, I, I love <laughs> it. And, and you took that responsibility. So you, you got what I was thinking before and, and, and put it into words without me saying it. So That's I love a great that. conversation. Yeah, that was great. Like, and I, I love how you came up with that, like how you, you, you got into that and it flowed into that because it was so true. And this is all life experiences, right? Like, I, I'm, I'm, you know, incredible, right? Because there's too many times we see people out there and pointing blame. Well, this happened because that person did this or that happened because that person did that. And no, that happened because you failed to do something. Yep. You failed to do part of your job, which is going to be, you know, accepting and managing or training or, uh, you know, following up, right? Like I'm in the Absolutely. real estate business. When someone uh, that I've dealt with before I've talked to ends up calling somebody else, it's not their fault. It's not their problem. That means I failed to do to either follow up, I failed to stay in contact, or I failed to do my job properly, which is why they thought of someone else. Absolutely. I agree with that. And, you know, I always tell people I'm not for everybody. My services aren't for everybody and that's okay too. But if, if I'm not for you, I think as an extension of continuing to our, our, you know, do our job and doing what we're doing, I, I will refer to another cleaning company. Like I will refer to another babysitter that might not be part of my network. I try to always make sure that, you know, if I'm always extending that olive branch that I'm always making sure I'm saying, if this isn't for you, if we didn't meet your expectations, I know some other people that do this as well you know, maybe they can, they can service you. Cause I want to make sure that I'm trying to offer as much as I possibly can to all of my clients, because at the end of the day, it is your reputation. It, it is, you know, your word. And that, that means so much to me. Yeah, I agree with you. Cause you know what? Let, let's be honest. It uh, will take 10 to 20 good reviews to have one person to notice, but it'll only take one or two bad reviews to have a lot of people notice. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing how quick that happens. Yeah, exactly. So in the spirit of time, I'm going to ask you two more questions before I get Perfect. into what I call the lightning round. Oh, no. So, <laughs> second last question is how do you know you've had a successful day? How do I know I've had a successful day? So I always make sure that no matter what, I accomplish three things. And it's funny because I posted this, this this morning. I always start my day off by making my bed. Um, I know my day is going to be successful because I've already started it off successful. I've already completed one full task. So by being able to start your day by completing a task, it means you're already setting yourself up for success. So just as long as you're able to complete three tasks off your task list every single day of the things that are important, then it's going to be a good day. Last question before the lightning round, but not least, is where do people find you? So you can find me on our babysitting site, mamasandbabysitters.com. If you go to Instagram, Jen underscore live your best life. I'm also on LinkedIn under Jennifer Potter and Facebook under Jennifer Potter. So we're working on changing some of the social media right now because I'm kind of everywhere. Makes sense. Love it. So that was great. A lot of good information. Some very uh, key points there. Thank you. And thank you. Um, yeah, that that was great, man. A couple of mic job point, points there, man. That was uh, that was really thank good. Thank you, thank you. So let's get into the lightning round with question awesome. number one. What is your favorite food and why? Oh my, fa my favorite food. I love steak and potatoes. Potatoes are my favorite because you can do a million things with them, and I'm obsessed with French fries. So we'll put French fries and potatoes. Yeah. There we go. I, I, can, <laughs> I can relate to that. I understand that one. Um, favorite vacation spot. My favorite vacation spot, well, I lived in Hawaii for a long time, so I'd have to say Hawaii. Interesting. 
Interesting. Aloha. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I miss it. Favorite book? Ooh, favorite book, The Magic. I actually have it sitting in front of me. Interesting. Uh, favorite podcast? Ooh, favorite podcast. Uh, it depends on the day. Um, I can't say yours because I'm on it because, you know, I'd be lying. But I love Ed Milet. I really do enjoy talking to you and listening to you, though. So, I mean, yeah, no, I really like Ed Milet. Yeah, I can understand that. Absolutely. That, that uh, yeah, he's very inspirational. Sometimes he comes off a little strong, but in, in a good yes. way. Yes, agreed. I just love his, I love his guests. Yeah, that's true. I, um, yeah, I agree with you. I, that's somebody I follow as well. Um, now, my favorite question is, if you were given unlimited money for 48 hours and you could do whatever you want with it, you have two days to spend whatever you can spend. What you don't spend gets taken away, but what you do spend, you get to keep. What would you do? I'd invest in many small businesses in the local area as I possibly could. I'd give as much money as I possibly can to every budding entrepreneur. Everybody deserves an opportunity to own a business. So I would reach out to as many people as possible. Fantastic. Once again, nobody said that they would keep the money or they buy a Ferrari. It's always uh, something damn. beyond that. <laughs> I didn't even think about the Ferrari. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's because of the way I worded it. Like being honest, right? what, I, what ends up happening is uh, the normal question is that if I give you a million dollars, what would you do? And the top two, uh, two uh, answers are I'd pay off my mortgage or I'd buy myself uh, some fancy car like a Ferrari. Those are oh, the two so top funny. answers. Now, reality is those two answers, as you just illustrated, are bogus answers. I think what happens is when person gets a limiting number and they have to think of something on the spot, they don't know what to spend it on because they want to try to spend it, right. but they don't know what to spend it on. So they come up with the default answers, which are those two things. But I love the way that you worded it because like I really started like processing it because I started to say, all right, so if I have 48 hours, how can I get to as many people as I possibly can? And that's just where my head went. It wasn't even, you know, I started thinking about like donating, but then I started thinking about all of the other people that would make a difference in order to kind of move forward with those things. So I love the way that you worded that. That was fantastic. I, and that's the reason why I worded it that way because it gets great. people to think the, uh, the real answer, not the one, the, right? oh my God answer. So I, love that. <laughs> so I mean, I, love I totally buy a Ferrari if I had all of the money but you know nobody that wasn't your first uh choice so <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome i want to say thank you so much for being a guest it's been amazing thank you so much for having me it was so much fun and such a great conversation absolutely we'll have to do it again sometime i look forward to it thank you if you like what you see and you want some more uh, episodes subscribe to the link below